Welcome, everybody, to Season 4, Episode 2 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who first has to clear the air and apologize that I did not post an episode last week. I was a bit under the weather for the last seven days running, and uh, during my recovery, I did not round up a guest for today's show, so I'm flying solo, which is perfectly fine. But in, in doing so, I wanted to round up an article to deliver to you today of a topic that's a little bit lesser known, you know, something off the beaten path, uh, a mystery that's off the back storage room shelves, if you will. So I have an article about something you may or may not have heard of before. I'm talking about Spring-Heeled Jack. We're going all the way back to Victorian-era England, and I remember I first heard of Spring-Heeled Jack when my grandma gave me an article, uh, a magazine of uh, Fate Magazine, if you're old enough to remember that. And it captivated my imagination, as Fate Magazine often did. But I remember reading about Spring-Heeled Jack and just being mesmerized on how strange it actually was. Uh, first of all, because it was just truly bizarre. And secondly, I think the allure of a mystery taking place in England, which at the time was a country I was not very familiar with. So today I have an episode about Spring-Heeled Jack, and if you've never heard of this, sit back, relax... Secure your earbuds, because things are about to get so strange. So the title of this article is... Who Was Spring-Heeled Jack, the Victorian Scourge of London? Now, this was published on the 29th of February, 2020. Spring-Heeled Jack sits in the center of a weird Venn diagram. It features urban legends, penny-dreadful serial fiction, theater plays, and modern folklore. The last sightings of him were actually in the early years of the 20th century, yet Jack still makes appearances in contemporary pop culture. And for reference, A Penny Dreadful was actually a type of popular fiction uh, publication in the 19th century, and it usually was printed on cheap pulp pa paper and sold for a penny. Now, these publications featured serialized stories of adventure, mystery, crime, and horror, and they were designed to appeal to the working class readers who could not afford more expensive literature. So it's just a little reference point if we mention Penny Dreadfuls as we continue with this article. You know, in some of the later adaptations, he's part of a, a vogue for all things Victorian. You know, he's like weirder than Jack the Ripper and more mysterious than Sweeney Todd. Um, and, you know, he actually is kind of up there with Dracula, if you get to know a little bit more about the, the phenomenon. But the first sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack actually occurred in 1837 in London. Yet the first report appeared in the Times on January 9th, 1838, about sightings that took place in Peckham. Now, at the time, it was a small village uh, south of London. And then in the days following the first report, many people began to re uh, repeat the suspicion that the quote-unquote monster was a gentleman. So according to this theory, he'd taken to dressing up and scaring people to win a bet. And considering the exploits of some of the upper classes, this isn't entirely beyond the bound of reason. Uh, some people went further, theorizing that Spring-Heeled Jack wasn't a single figure, but instead 
it was a group of such gentlemen, plural. Uh, the idea that Jack was a collective helped explain later sightings as the work of copycats. So this first report also stirred the letter writers of London into action. The Times printed a letter by an anonymous writer claiming to be a barrister on January 11, 1838. And in it, the writer repeats reports of attacks on women in Hammersmith. And during the, these attacks, quote, uh, several young women had been readily frightened into uh, dangerous fits, and some of them had been severely wounded by sort of claws uh, that, the, that the perpetrator wore on his hands. Now, the reports evolved, and the figure became more complicated and more elaborate. According to Carl Bell, the accounts came to describe a cloaked being with fiery eyes who would vomit blue flames from its mouth and whose sharp metal talons tore the flesh of its victims. The first of these newer reports came from Jane Alsop, who lived near Bearbender Lane. And when she opened her front door on the 20th of February, 1838, uh, he pretended to be a, police, a policeman that had caught Springheel Jack and asked for a candle. Now, remember, the Lord Mayor offered uh, a 10-pound reward, which is around 800 pounds nowadays, uh, for help in catching him. So Jane moved to fetch the candle, but then things went badly wrong. Apparently, the figure vomited blue and white flames and attacked her, tearing at her dress, tearing at her hair with what felt like metallic claws. She also reported that he wore a skin-tight white costume and a helmet. Thankfully, her father and sister came to her rescue, and their testimony, along with Jane's injuries, corroborated the story. Now, despite this, the officers that conducted the investigations concluded Jane had been so terrified that she'd mistaken her attacker for Spring-Heeled Jack. Uh, no one was ever brought to justice for the attack itself. And then eight days later, Lucy Scales reported being pounced on by a man fitting the same description, uh, though Jennifer Westwood and Jacqueline Simpson claim that she had been just reading Alsop's account in the newspaper, and then Mike Dash sees Lucy's report as the last real sighting of Jack and notes that it got a little attention in the wider press. Uh, the reports were varied enough to make it difficult to identify who or what was terrifying uh, the city. Ken Gerhardt, uh, who describes... Uh, spring Hill Jack as a sort of urban legend meets supervillain. And he says that spring Hill Jack was extremely tall, pale, and thin, and he possessed great strength and agility. Uh, while there were some similarities across reports, such as his helmet or a cloak, uh, there were also many differences. An article about him in the Manchester Courier and the Lancashire uh, General Advertiser from 1884 notes the variation in his appearance. So in one sighting, he wore steel armor. To a woman in Hammersmith, he appeared as an immense baboon six feet high. That's bizarre. The same newspaper even commented that it must be noted with an exceedingly varied wardrobe uh, this sprite must have had, rendering it very difficult, one would think, for him to move with such extensive uh, properties with El Elkridi from place to place. Uh, so I think that's really fancy British <laughs> language for 
all these weird costumes he was wearing would have made it difficult for him to be as agile as people claimed. Um, but I digress. <laughs> Continuing with the article, in one report, spring Jack seemed to leap into a waiting uh, cabriolet to escape. He also moved around the villages, clinging to the skirts of London. He started in the villages to the west of London, like Barnes, uh, East Sheen, Richmond, and Kingston. Then he moved on to those to the south and east of the city. And then the copycats started. So Dash thinks that Jack's attacks on Lucy Scales in 1838 uh, marks his last real appearance and that other stories refer to imposters, not Jack. Others think Jack moved beyond London's confines altogether. A handful of tales emerged in the 1840s from England's southern and eastern counties. But then he seems to go quiet and newspaper reports are rare or simply rehash the earlier tales. Uh, he did eventually reappear, albeit briefly, in 1877. Uh, sentries on guard at the barracks in Aldershot claimed that Jack would appear from nowhere and slap them. Uh, several claimed they shot the figure, but it apparently had no effect. Uh, Dash points out that the illustrations accompanied the newspapers uh, show Jack as a typical sheet-clad phantom. So imagine kind of that old-timey ghost with a bed sheet over him with eyes cut out. Uh, given Jack's unusual and recognizable appearance, this makes it less likely that Jack was behind these pranks at the barracks. A 1904 newspaper report from Liverpool seems to mark Jack's last appearance. Uh, weirdly, stories continued to circulate about him well into the 1930s, a century after his initial debut. The whole point of spring Heel Jack is really the springs. So this apparently explains how he was able to evade capture for so long. Having carried out his deeds, he bounced away like a demented gummy bear, <laughs> if you could imagine that. An article in Tower Hamlets, Independent and East End Local Advisor from 1904, refers to this ability. It describes how Jack would suddenly appear with terrible bounds and it was this that earned him his nickname, spring Heel Jack. Uh, John Matthews says that this aspect of Jack may have been invented by the writer Elizabeth Villiers. Uh, she wrote Stand and Deliver, which was published in 1928, and bizarrely included a chapter about spring Heel Jack among the tales of highwaymen. Uh, Matthew asserts that while the tales of leaping that she includes are not unconfirmed, they have uh, also have not been confirmed either. Is it entirely possible that tales of Jack's feats of acrobatics actually comes from the penny dreadfuls in which he appeared? Here, everything about him was huge and exaggerated. Uh, the most famous of these didn't appear until 1863, and only one news story mentions spring boots before that date. A piece in the Illustrated Police News mentioned, quote, springs to his boots, and that he could, quote, jump to a height of 15 or 20 feet. This report predates Villiers' work, but it also comes after the Penny Dreadfuls. Uh, Dash notes that we have to question the, re the reliability of the Illustrated Police News, so we have no way of knowing if this claim came from an eyewitness or an investigative journalist. Uh, the lack of coverage in local newspapers makes it a dubious claim at best. Uh, Dash also notes that there is plenty of reason to doubt he could actually leap such distances, mostly because the surviving first-hand reports don't mention it. Instead, 
they have Jack scampering or walking away from the scene of the crime. So let's be honest. If you could leap tall buildings in a single bound, why would you walk away from the scene of a crime? Uh, that said, Villiers' fascination for highwaymen may even go some way to explain Jack's enduring popularity. As Matthew explains, once the initial hysteria had died down, Jack became, for a time anyways, uh, something of an anti-hero. Uh, his ability to run rings around the police made him a figure of admiration to some. Matthew also draws parallels between spring Jack and the Jack in the Box, which was a toy commonly known by children since the 18th century. The song that goes with the box, Pop Goes the Weasel, uh, became popular during the 1830s. Uh, Matthews draws a link between the demonic figure that popped out of a child's toy with the demonic figure capering around London. So, who was Heel Spring Jack? Uh, nobody really knows. The press often mentions the third Marquis of Waterford, Henry Delapore uh, Boresford, in connection with these stories. Now, his drunken antics earned him the nickname the Mad Mar Marquis. Uh, as an example, uh, Beresford was the party animal behind an incident that created the phrase painting the town red. According to the underrated, a servant boy escaped from Jack in South London. He alleged to have seen an elaborate crest on the attacker's costume, which included the letter W. Now, people surmised it stood for Waterford. They also pointed out that this incident doesn't appear in the newspaper of the time. It's more likely fiction invented to support the theory. Beresford lived near the locations of the early 1837 and 1838 attacks, but sightings dried up after he left London in 1842 and went back to Ireland. Now, he died in 1859, so if he was Jack, then the figure seen in the 1860s onwards was merely a copycat. So it's unlikely that the perpetrator of the 1830s was the same one in the 1870s or later. So the question becomes, how many Jacks were there in the first place, let alone throughout time? And then we have to ask the question, what is Jack's motive? What was his motive? And to this day, nobody knows. Not knowing who he was keeps the motive a mystery. Now, authorities referred to many of Jack's early appearances as pranks, and indeed several newspapers also pointed out that um, certainly it is that robbery was not the motive, for he was never known to take a single coin from his victims, uh, and this helped the widespread belief that the Marquis of Waterford was behind the scheme in the first place. Despite Jack's physical attacks on his victims, his intention seemed to be scarring them, not killing them. He was accused of murdering a prostitute in the 1840s, but the original stories from 1837 and 1838 focus on the torn clothes. Now, at one point, he appeared in Holland Park, a known meeting place for prostitutes and their clients. Matthews discussed the theory that Jack was some kind of moral vigilante, though there's no proof that this was ever the case. Uh, this may have come from spring Jack's entry into popular culture, uh, Jess Nevins explains that in 1863, Jack appeared in his own Penny Dreadful, spring Jack, The Terror of London, which was a romance of the 19th century written by Alfred Coates. Uh, here, Coates terms him, turns him into an early Avenger, <laughs> using gadgets and gizmos to help others. He even has an alter ego, the Marquis. Um, he's not a superhero, but more of an elderly Batman. 
Uh, other stage productions saw him become a hero, which is a far cry from the news reports that painted him as a villain. Uh, that said, on the 1st of October, 1888, police even received a letter about Jack the Ripper's murders. Uh, they received plenty of hoax letters, but the sender signed this one from spring Jack, the Whitechapel Murderer. And I can't help thinking that given the panic in Whitechapel at the time, people would remember seeing somebody as outlandish as spring Jack. Now, it's more likely somebody sent the letter as a childish joke. So what should we think about spring Jack? Uh, he's a fascinating character, to be sure. But we have to remember that it's a very difficult to you know, separate the fact from the fiction. His penny dreadful and stage show exploits have colored the original newspaper reports about him. On one hand, he's a larger-than-life quirk of London legend, worthy of study for how belief in such a figure could spread. And then on the other hand, he's a prank that took on a life of its own once he entered popular culture. Either way, you can be certain that he'll be back in one form or another. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And that about does it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of short and sweet today uh, to preserve my voice. <laughs> Thanks for being understanding about that. I'll be back next week with a longer uh, episode, and most likely we'll have a guest with me as well. Thank you so much for being on here and supporting the show. Thanks to all my subscribers. If you're not yet a subscriber, uh, check the link in the show notes. That gives you access to a super strange bonus episode each and every week, so you can essentially double the amount of content that you can access. You should also know that if you're in the Omaha area, I am uh, doing a comedy show coming up in June. It's called Diapers and Driving Lessons, The Hilarious Side of Parenting. And a little different than the content we usually do on this show, uh, but if you enjoy uh, listening to the things that I have to say and the thoughts that go on inside this weird little brain of mine, uh, then you can snag a ticket for that comedy show. And again, that link is in the show notes as well. So from So Strange Studios to your ears, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you next week right here on So Strange. <laughs>